What a privilege it is to be with you this morning. I want to say happy Easter. Uh, this would be my 19th Easter at Weston Community Church. Such a privilege. I would be remiss to tell you, too, we're also, my wife and I are celebrating 34 years of marriage today. Uh, she has been, you know, and I waited. Thank you. Actually, you really, the clapping should have been first service for her. <laughs> I don't deserve the credit. You know, it's uh, interesting. She's been a faithful partner uh, for a long time, so I'm really grateful for her and want to express that to you this Easter morning. What a great uh, passage for us to look at. If you're new to Western Community, absolutely delighted that you're here. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through uh, two things. I want you to see the impact that Jesus Christ had on two men's lives. Man named Joseph, man named Nicodemus. I want you to see the impact he had on their lives because I, I truly believe that if you choose to come to know Jesus Christ personally, he will dramatically change your life. It may be over time, but he will truly change your life. And so I want you to see how he impacted these two individuals. And then lastly, of course, I want you to see the game-changing event that happened on Easter morning. And let me say this clearly. When I say game-changing, I don't mean for Christians. I mean for humanity. Humanity. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a statement that God himself has conquered death and conquered evil. And that truly matters. And so... That's what we're going to walk through this morning. So if you'll jump, uh, jump in with me, um, John chapter 19. Look at Joseph of Arimathea. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. He was rich. He was looking from the king, uh, for the kingdom of God. We see that from the other gospels. He's also a man who did not vote to condemn Jesus when Jesus stood at trial before the council. He was a disciple in secret because of his fear of the Jews. In other words, he feared man more than he feared God. But at some point, because of the impact of Jesus on his life, he decided that following God was more important than the approval of man. And so what he did is this. As he saw Jesus being crucified, he, of course, realized that Jesus was going to die, and so he went to Pilate. Joseph was a man of standing, so he was able to get an audience with Pilate immediately, and he asked Pilate if he could have the body of Jesus. Now, this is unusual for a number of reasons. First, because when the Romans crucified people, sometimes they were common criminals, as the thieves were. And what they would do, uh, the Romans would do, is give the bodies of people who were crucified to their next of kin so that they could show them some, some dignity in their death. However, if the person crucified had committed sedition, i.e. rebellion against the Roman Empire and its authorities, then what the Romans would do is leave the body on the cross for vultures to eat. And the reason that they did that is Rome wanted people to see, this is what will happen to you if you oppose us as the dominant world power. When Joseph went to Pilate to ask for the body of Jesus, what we realize is Pilate really didn't, didn't think Jesus was guilty. Do you remember when Pilate said, you know, I wash my hands of this man's death? Pilate really didn't, I think, at the core, believe that Jesus was guilty. And so Pilate granted Joseph his request to have the, the body of Jesus. Now, you've got to understand, Joseph was a secret disciple before, so this is just an incredible turnaround 
in this man's life. And so the question I want to pose for us this morning is, what is it about the person of Jesus that could impact a person's life like that to change him so dramatically? Because I want to tell you something, you guys. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, Jesus can really change your life. I mean, he can really change it. Not by giving you a second chance. For goodness sakes, what do you do with second chances? The same thing I do. Screw it up just as bad. He doesn't give us second chances. You'll see what he does dramatically impacting your life. That was Joseph. Now, look at Nicodemus. Nicodemus had earlier come to Jesus at night, if you remember in John chapter 3. I call him Nick at night. And so he was a man who's with the, the, the council, and he began to really see and hear uh, about Jesus. He interacted with Jesus. He was intellectually engaged with Jesus. Of course, both men had heard about the miracles and over time were deeply impacted by Jesus. And so by John chapter 19, the man who came to Jesus at night because he didn't want people to see and because he really was interested in Christ but he wasn't willing to take a stand for Christ, at this time was willing to, the man at night came out into the light. He was so impacted by the person and the work of Jesus Christ that he was radically, radically changed. This cost both men, because they bought, brought 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and that was rather expensive. And they had burial cloths that they came to wrap Jesus in. And he impacted them so deeply, I want to suggest to you for two reasons that really are applicable to us this morning. I think he impacted them first because Jesus Christ speaks to the deepest desires of all humanity. So let me boldly say it this morning. Uh, if you don't know who Jesus is, I believe that Jesus will speak to your deepest desires. Bruce Springsteen sings a song called Hungry Heart, and it goes like everybody has a hungry heart. And you've, if you've ever been to a Springsteen concert or seen video of that particular song, you know what it's sung like? It sung like a worship song because everybody's singing. Everybody has a hungry heart. And do you know why they sing that? Because every person in this room, at the core of who you are, has a hunger that either you truly know about or maybe you're not even aware of. But we all live to satisfy that deep core hunger. And, listen to this, if we go to the wrong place, if we go to the wrong well, we'll never find what we're looking for, and we'll end up on a shore we don't want to end up on. Let me give you an example. Jesus was walking through Samaritan territory, which was, for him, a difficult place. And he came to a well, it was midday, and he sat by that well, and tired as he was, he wanted to rest and have a drink of water. Well, a Samaritan woman walked up to him, and Jesus looked at her and said, Will you give me a drink? Well, she was shocked. She said, You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You look down on us because you think we violated the faith. You're a man. I'm a woman, and you're not supposed to speak to me because it really looks bad. Why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus, if you don't know much about him, always pulls people deeper. So he leaned up and he looked at her and he said, you know, if you knew who was actually asking you for a drink of water, you would have asked him for living water. 
you're there. You're by the well. What would you have thought? I'm like, what? What? Living water? What is this living water? You don't have anything to draw from the well with. And Jesus simply said to her, you know, if you drink from this well, you'll get thirsty again. But if you understand the living water that I offer you, you'll never thirst. Well, the woman pauses for a second and thinks, you know, this is hard work. Well, give me some of this living water so I don't have to keep coming to this well to drink. And then Jesus looks at her and says, well, go, call your husband. Now, this may be the most uncomfortable three seconds of silence in the Bible. What you may not know is this woman's actually had five husbands, and the man she's living with now is not her husband because he doesn't have to marry her because she's so broken and ashamed that she's basically his slave. She is broken to the core. Have you ever been broken to the core? You are in the right place this morning, and you're on the right day of Easter. Now, why did Jesus ask this woman to bring her husband to him? It wasn't to shame him, but it was to show her something. What she was doing was trying to find in the arms of a man something that ultimately she could only find at the feet of a Savior. She took the deepest desires of her heart, legitimate as they were, the desire to be loved, the desire to be protected, the desire to be cared for, and over and over and over again she found brokenness because she went to something that couldn't satisfy her. She went to the wrong well. How many of us in the room are going to the wrong well this morning? I don't know if you're like me. I go to the wrong well. I'm sad to say it to you. I go to the wrong well and I get a drink and it doesn't satisfy and I try to drink more and it doesn't satisfy and eventually it leads to things that are not good. You know, if you go to the wrong well, you'll never find what you're looking for. And that's why Jesus says that he is the living water. In fact, he put it like this. Much in a ga- like a gathering like this, he was in a religious gathering, and he stood up, and he didn't have a nice uh, Claire Brothers sound system like I do. And so he had to yell at the top, top of his lungs. And he said, is anyone, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who comes to me, as Scripture has said, Streams of living water will flow from within him. He was offering himself as the well of the living water that can meet the deepest desires of your heart. And so I want you to remember this as you walk out this morning. As you get in touch with your deepest desires, Jesus wants to go there with you, and he wants to be that for you. He will satisfy you at the core of your being because he made the core of your being. That's critical to understand. What's another way that Jesus impacts people? Well, he deals with our fears. Dealt with a lot of people lately who've been in the hospital or had difficult uh, diagnoses for health issues. And I've got to tell you something. When you hear the C word, it can be scary. There are all kinds of fears, fears of loss that we have. I mean, we've got a, a, a dictator in North Korea, and I am afraid about uh, the possibility of nuclear war. 
Our world is broken. We're in competition with each other. We're certainly not for each other as we seek slowly to destroy each other. And so there's much to be fearful about. Jesus Christ has come to deal with our fears because he cares. There's a story about Jesus. He fed 5,000 men on the eastern shore of Galilee, and there were probably 15,000 women and children with him. So ultimately, the table was set for 20,000. And he served them bread, and they were so delighted in what he'd done, they wanted to make him king so that he as king could lead them in rebellion against the Roman Empire. He didn't want to be that sort of king because I want to tell you, Jesus didn't come for politics. He's not a Democrat. He's not a Republican. He's the creator of the world. He didn't want to be a political savior, and he didn't want to be a military savior because our enemy is not ultimately against flesh and blood. There's a greater enemy that we'll see in just a few minutes. So he talked to the people calmly, and he ultimately withdrew. But here's what he did with his disciples. He sent them on from the eastern shore to the western shore and said, go on, go across the lake. Well, they wanted to wait for him, and they did for a bit. But the seasoned fishermen that they were, they finally set out because they didn't want to end up in the lake, in the lake, in the middle of the lake in the dead of night because it was dangerous. They took out, and sure enough, probably two to three hours into their rowing across the lake, a wind from the western shore blew up on the Lake of Galilee. And is true, on that lake, suddenly a storm engulfed them and put them in grave danger. And even though they rowed, they were not making any progress. And so what happens next? Well, Jesus walks on the water. He walks right out on the lake, three miles to where they are. Now here's something ironic. They're in a storm that's life-threatening and they're terrified to the west. They look back to the east and they see a man walking on the water and they're more afraid of Jesus than they are the storm. You know, when I think about it, I think I would be too. Here's Jesus' response to you in the storm when you're terrified. It is I. Don't be afraid. So immediately, he gets in their boat. He gets in their boat with them. And do you know what happens next? They immediately go to shore. He sees them safely home. Now, the question I want to pose to you is simply this. Why does he walk out on the water to the boat? Well, I've posed that to many people in preparation for the sermon, and a lot of people said, well, one, he wanted to prove he's God. And yes, he's fully God. And so he does walk on water. He has that ability. He walks on water, okay, because he's fully God. Why else does he walk on the water? Think about it. At the very core, uh, at the very core what is the most important reason he walks on water? Here it is. You ready? This may be anticlimactic. You know why he walked on water out to these men? Because he loved them. And they were in the storm of their lives. And he wasn't about to let them drown. That's why he walked on water. He cared for them in the midst of the storm. Now let me tell you something. You're either coming out of a storm 
you're going in the midst of the storm or you're in the storm now. And that's common to all humanity. We're in a broken, broken world. When you come to know, love, and follow the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you something about the beauty of Jesus. He will come to you in the midst of the storm, and he will get into the boat that you're in. And he will see you safely home. And the reason he says, it is I, do not be afraid, and I want you to hear this clearly, is that he loves you perfectly, and perfect love drives out fear. That's why Joseph and Nicodemus were so profoundly impacted about, by Jesus Christ because he spoke to humanity's deepest desires and he spoke to humanity's deepest fears. And that's why I believe that you can walk out this morning deeply impacted by Jesus Christ because at the end of the day, the whole point of the Christian religion is to experience Jesus and walk with him. That's the whole point of the Christian religion. Now, I want you to see something very interesting. When Joseph and Nicodemus uh, came that late Friday afternoon to take the body of Jesus down, they needed to do it quickly because the Sabbath was coming, and they needed to get the body into the grave. And so they quickly took the body down. But I want you to see their devotion. Oh, their devotion. They loved him. But do you know what they loved? They loved a memory. They were devoted to a dead man. And that's all they knew. They had no idea what anybody else had no idea of that was about to happen that completely changed the world. Look at chapter 20. See how it starts out? Notice it says, at the beginning, excuse me, early on the first day of the week. Now, notice I want you to see this author, John, does not write the third day after the resurrection. He says, early on the first, uh, first day of the week, while it was still dark. The reason he notes it's the first day of the week is John wants to say something to you and I this morning, and that's this. When you begin to know and understand the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will experience something that you've never experienced before. And the Bible calls that new creation or being born again. It's a transformation that only God can bring. And in that transformation, he can actually give you a new beginning. Let me illustrate. Many times I'll deal with people who have difficult, difficult marriages. And I'll come to them and say, do you want to work on it? And they always say to me, I don't want that kind of marriage. And I say, bingo. I never ask anybody to go back to the marriage that they have. But let me tell you something. For every person in here, Jesus Christ can give you the marriage that you've never had because he does not give you a second chance. He makes all things new. And that's why John says into the begin, in, in the beginning, that's why John says on the first day of the week, to say there's a brand new beginning. So here's what happens, and I love this. Mary goes to the tomb, and she finds it empty. Peter and John, meanwhile, are back at the 
in the room, and Mary runs back to Peter and John and says to them, the tomb is empty. They've taken away his body. So she fully believes that someone has actually stolen the body from the grave. Grave robbery at that time was fairly common. So Peter and John race to the tomb. Notice that John, John is the beloved disciple here. John outruns Peter because he's younger. He outruns Peter. Peter's probably a little heavier. But John, with a little hesitancy, stops outside the tomb, looks in and sees the linen cloth. Peter, because he has no uh, filter and no sense of boundaries, just blows right by John and runs right into the tomb and he sees a pile of linen and he sees a head cloth that's folded up separately uh, beside it. But here's what I want you to see. Everybody's running. And why is that so? Well, I suppose I'd be running too if there were an empty tomb. You know, in a lot of ways, they just didn't know what to do with themselves. Now, I firmly believe that they still believed at this point that someone had robbed the grave, but I just find it very interesting that nobody's casual. Nobody's casual about an empty tomb. I want to ask you a point-blank question. Have you become casual about an empty tomb? Do you have a, a convenient religion that would acknowledge an empty tomb with a slightly bored yawn. Mary and Peter and John are running. Now what Peter and John see in the tomb are linen here for the body and then a head cloth, as one translation says, is separate and folded up neatly and I actually think that that's a Good translation. And here's what I'd love for you to see. Note this if you don't believe in the resurrection of Christ. In the recording of these details, one of the points is that if it was a true grave robbery, nobody would have taken the time to unwrap the linen and then steal the body. The linen and the spices, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe, were quite valuable in and of themselves. They would have stolen linen, body, spices, and all. What we see here is linen in a pile, a head cloth folded neatly up beside, uh, uh, apart by someone who's been raised from the dead. Someone has died and been raised from the dead. And he's left the grave clothes because he left the grave. And so he folds up the cloth here because he defeated death so decisively that he wanted to leave the cloth that covered his head neatly in place because he was gone. Listen to how the Bible describes the triumph of Jesus Christ over death. It's now been revealed through the appearing of Christ our Savior. He has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible 
for death to keep its hold on him. Now, why is it impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus Christ? Let me unpack that for just a moment. I want you to see this clearly. Jesus, when he was on the cross, the crucifixion was on Friday, cried out first, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the point he was crying out about being forsaken, what he was experiencing was the full wrath of God against the sins of anybody who would place their faith in him. What God was doing, a holy God was turning his back on a Savior who was carrying sin. Because the judgment of sin is death. And death is God turning away and a rupture of relationship. And so at that point, Jesus was enduring the full wrath of God and saying, my God. Notice, he didn't say, my Father. He was experiencing the full wrath of God. And then he said something else. He said, it is finished. What was finished? He drank the cup of God's wrath. He finished it. He was able to finish it fully and completely and satisfy the cup of God's wrath in perfect obedience to the plan of God. And then he gave up his spirit. And because in perfect obedience to his Father, not my will, but your will be done, In perfect obedience to his Father, he satisfied the wrath of God fully and finally for anyone who would believe in him. Anyone in this room, if you would trust in the Lord Jesus, he has drunk your cup of God's wrath in your place so that you don't have to. He drank that to the very end, satisfied the wrath of God, And so death no longer had a hold on him. For the wages of sin is death. And Jesus paid for sin in full. And so death didn't have a claim on him. And so it had to let him go. And as it let him go, he stood up. He took his headcloth off. He folded it neatly and walked out right out of the grave. It was done. The power of sin was broken. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you know why? There's nothing left to condemn. Paid in full. That's why the grave couldn't hold him. He was faithful to the end. Now, Why was he raised? There are numbers of reasons. I want to leave you with two as we prepare to finish. The first I want to say to this is Jesus Christ was raised from the dead as a first fruits of a resurrection of the dead at the end of time. And what was he raised from the dead dead 2,000 years ago? But to begin to bring in the kingdom of God, when he was raised from the dead, he defeated the kingdom of darkness. And now he's bringing in his kingdom. And for anybody in this room who's trusting the Lord Jesus, if you're trusting him as your savior, believing that he and he alone 
is the one who's drunk the cup of God's wrath for you on the cross. If you've received him by your spirit, he's made you a new person, not second chance, but new creation. And as he has made you a new creation, he's constituted you to be part of the people of God known as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, of which West End is a part. What are we as the church to be about? We are to be about bringing in the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is coming and the gates of hell cannot prevail. Men and women, the war was won when Jesus walked out of the grave. We are still in a fight, but we're certain with victory. And so the church of God does not move into the culture with a sort of triumphal arrogance, but we move with a confident humility that we can love people all the way to our enemies because Jesus loved us when we were his enemies. And we cannot spend our lives trying to accumulate reputation or wealth or power so that we can lord it over people, but rather we can exercise our good gifts as we kneel down to wash the feet of every person we ever come in contact with in our lives. And that's the mission we're on now as a church. The reason we're sending Eric Ashley out to plant a church is because Eric Ashley intends to wash people's feet. The reason Jay Hager meets at Flat Rock now for their first Easter, I talked to him this morning, he sends you greetings. The reason we send, sent Jay Hager out at Flat Rock Community Church is because he's washing people's feet. Let me give you what I think is maybe the most, well, I don't want to say the most, but really incredible. Jesus was raised from the dead so fully and finally we could be with him forever. For the Lord himself, this is the second coming, will come down from heaven with a loud command. And with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. I want you to listen to this. Listen to this. And after that, we who are still alive and left will be called up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Let me tell you what he's simply saying here. He's saying at the end of time, if you're in Christ and you pass away before he comes again, you will actually spiritually go into his presence. Because to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. You will spiritually be, your spirit will be in his presence, but you will, with him, come back at the end of time. And if you're alive on the earth when Jesus comes back, because he's coming back to establish his kingdom, he's not coming back to take you to heaven. He's coming back to recreate all creation. When he comes back, the spirit of those who have already fallen asleep will come back with him. And their bodies will rise from the earth and their bodies will be reunited with their spirits in a glorified body. And in glorified bodies, we will be with Jesus forever. Here's what I want you to hear. God values relationship above all things. And therefore, God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever 
shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life relationship with me. But I want you to see something beautiful. Not only is it relationship with a living God forever, but it's relationship with all of his children forever. People who've passed on before you, if you've had loss this year, you know the agony of that. Believers who've passed on before you, you'll see them again. This is what Easter means. You know, I had a really great father-in-law, I've got to tell you, he loved golf, really loved golf. He taught my, both my sons to play golf, and he tried with me. But my sons actually got to be really good golfers. They especially loved a place called Annandale, and it's a golf course in um, Jackson, Mississippi, actually Madison, Mississippi, a really, really pretty golf course. And um, uh, my father-in-law passed away about six months ago. Uh, my oldest son had a special relationship with him, and David went to Annandale to, uh, to pay his respects to many of the people there who knew and loved Bobby Reigns. And uh, as they were coming out of the clubhouse, David, with his son, my grandson, Nate, were out on the front steps and had someone take a picture of them as the sun was going down. And it's a great picture of my son and my grandson. About two months ago, on social media, David posted that picture, which was really great, with this citation under it. One person missing today at Annandale. Bobby Rains, 1932 through 2016. Best papa two boys could ever ask for. We love you, papa. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and we will be together.